0: Good morning, how's everybody doing? Good, it's good to be together. Uh, Today, uh, if you're new to our church, my name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors uh, here. I wanna welcome you. Maybe this is your first time or maybe you've been coming for a little while but haven't gotten connected uh, yet. We're glad that you're here. Glad that you're joining us online and from our different locations around the DC metro area. We're gonna be in Mark chapter one. So meet me in Mark one. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible uh, with you, you don't have your own copy of the Bible, first of all, I'd encourage you to, Even if you're not a Christian, you're just exploring Christianity, I'd encourage you to get a copy of the Bible. You can pick up a free one at any of our locations and have it in front of you uh, when you're listening to uh, a sermon, just to be able to kind of look and see, is the Bible saying what I'm saying is saying, right? Um, And uh, so we're going to be in Mark chapter one. Now, uh, we are in this series, a short series called Being With God. We wanted to start 2024 off Uh, with just focusing on what it is to experience and prioritize communion with God. It's a part of our 21 days of prayer where we as a church family are kind of devoting ourselves uh, to more intentional prayer, to concentrated times of prayer uh, and fasting. And so over the last two weeks, uh, we've been in this series being with God. The first week we kind of started with this verse that kind of anchors the series, John fifteen nine. And let's just do a quick pop quiz here and at our different locations. If you were here a couple weeks ago or maybe you watched the message, I see nervous smiles and laughter. We're not even gonna put the verses on the screen. Let's see if you remember John fifteen nine. You ready? All right. Montgomery County, we're gonna need your help, all right? Uh, you ready? All right, let's say it out loud. Here we go. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide. You and know I was going to leave you hanging, right? All right, yeah. Abide in my love. You did a great job. As the Father, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This incredible invitation. And really in that context, a command to abide in, to, to be continually aware of. To align our lives with the divine, eternal love that Jesus has experienced and enjoys with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That is the goal. That's the goal. So, being with God is the goal. Last week, uh, Pastor David took that a step further and got super practical. We looked at being with God in quiet. What does it look like to actually spend one on one time with God? How do you set that time up? How do you use that time? Uh, uh, Every day, just trying to focus on God's word and prayer and and fasting. But one of the questions that I've gotten, and I get it all the time, and sometimes it comes up even in my own heart, is that sounds nice. Y'all pastors, you know what I'm saying? You talk about spending time with God. You're a professional prayer, right? You get paid 40 hours a week to just sit and like spend time with God, which isn't true. Uh, but uh, but I understand, especially here in the D.C. area with all of the responsibilities and relationships and our social life and, and long work hours and like all of that, where do we find all this extra time, right, to just enjoy communion with God? And that's why today we're going to look at being with God in the chaos, Being with God in the midst of a chaotic season of life or being with God in the midst of a chaotic schedule. What does that look like? And so I want us to look at a day in the life of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this in context first. We're going to go to Mark 1 in a minute, but think about this day we're going to look at in context of Jesus' overall ministry. His mission is literally to save the world and he has three years to do it. Now here's his to-do list. Recruit and train disciples thoroughly enough to turn them from local fishermen to leaders of a global movement. Spread the gospel to enough regions to kind of create some momentum and kind of get the word out, manage a demanding travel schedule and itinerant teaching tour, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, all while navigating a smear campaign and death threats against him by some of the most powerful people in the country, what does your week look like? (laughs) He has a lot to do. So we get started in Mark chapter one, verse 16. We'll pick up in verse 16. Before we do that, why don't we pause and slow down our hearts and our thoughts and give God our attention and ask him to speak to us. Let's take a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. And God, we pray, we pray, Lord God, that you would meet us right where we are in the midst of the chaos of our week, the chaos of our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would not only speak to us through your word, but work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. 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 A day in the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you uh, fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, pause there for a second. because. I want you to take note of that word immediately because it's going to come up over and over again. It's Mark's way of helping us feel how intense and demanding Jesus' schedule was. And so as we read through this, I want you to keep count of every time you see that word immediately or uh, something similar. All right. I want you to pay close attention. If your kids in the room It's going to be fun for you. As we watch, I want you to to keep, keep count. Like literally, you can even count out loud. This is your time to talk in church, all right? You can count out loud every time we come to the word immediately. So we've seen that word immediately. How many times? One time so far. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19. It says, And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately, it's two times, yeah, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum and immediately, that's three. On the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 23, and immediately, that's four. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, the demons, and they obey him. And at once, that's another way of saying immediately. So how many times are we at now? I've actually lost claim. How many times? We're at five, all right? We're at five. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now pause there for a minute Jesus's ministry at this point has now gone viral throughout the region and that is creating a lot of pressure on him and the disciples you see this as you read further in in Mark's gospel uh, let me just give you a couple of examples it gets to the point where Mark chapter 1 verse 45 it says Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Now we know what this like. What this is like, maybe not in our own personal experience, but we look at social media, we watch TV, we we, we get a, a little bit of a window into what it's like to be a celebrity, right? You see it happen. You see when Taylor Swift shows up to a Chiefs game. You know what I'm saying? Like what that does, right? Uh, uh, when imagine us, they, they can't just like walk through the airport they can't just show up at your local grocery store. Why? Because as soon as they show up, all the crowds start gathering. This is what's beginning to happen to Jesus. The word about his ministry is starting to spread. His fame is beginning to increase more and more. And then in Mark chapter two, verse one, it says, when he entered Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Right, there's people watching, paparazzi is active. Right? And they spread the word that Jesus is back at home. And so many people gathered together so much so that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a large crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond, from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Here's why, lest they crush him. Like so many people constantly gathering around him that it became physically unsafe for him. Mark chapter three, verse 20 says, after all kinds of ministry, we'll end here, there's lots more examples, but it says, then he went home. And the crowd gathered again, so that he and his disciples could not even eat. And some of us are like, that's also called parenting, right? You just can't even eat. The point is, listen, as Jesus is teaching, as he's doing more and more ministry, like his fame is beginning to grow and spread and people are beginning to treat Jesus like a celebrity. And so you see it continue in verse 29. And what? And immediately, how many were at? Six. Immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately, right, seven, they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Now pause there for a minute. Jesus now, it's getting a bit of a break in the midst of a long day. They're relaxing. He and his disciples, Simon's mother, who's super grateful, they're enjoying a meal together. Maybe they're about to pop some popcorn and watch a movie. Maybe, maybe he's about to get in some Madden with the fellas, right? They're, they're, they just get a break, they finally get a moment to breathe. Until, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now, pause there for a second. We got a lot of doctors in our, in our church. Anybody like a doctor, nurse, or just a medical professional? Raise your hand real quick. All right, you don't want to raise your hand because you know then we're going to come to you for advice. And that's kind of the point of this illustration is that you know what it's like Right When you're off work and you're, you're relaxing somewhere or you're hanging out with friends or whatever, and inevitably you're going to have that person who's like me, who's going to come up to you. And this is always the cue. They're like, hey, while I got you, right? That's the cue. While I got you. Like, you don't got me actually, right? They're like, while I got you, I know you're not working, but you want to be like, so if, then, then what, are we, what are we doing? What are you, what are you Right? I know you're not working, but can you, right? And they ask you all these medical questions, and some of us, like even in the moment, like, hey, I got this thing on my toe. Can you look at it real quick? You're just like, no, no, no. Please put your shoe back on, right? <laughs> you, you know, you know what that's like. Jesus finally gets a moment to breathe. They, they brought all the sick and demon oppressed, and for many of us, it may not be all the sick. For many of us, it's all the emails. It's like we finally get a moment to breathe, but there's all the deliverables, right? There's all the night shift hours. There's all the caretaking responsibilities. We know what it feels like to have your evening snatched away by the needs and demands of other people, that last-minute phone call from your boss. That doesn't happen in church, but I'm sure that happens in your spheres, right? We know what that's like. Well. It's not over for Jesus. Verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door now. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And we talked about this when we studied the Gospel of Mark together. If you weren't here during that series, we studied the Gospel of Mark last year. You can look in our sermon archives for that series. It's called Following Jesus. But this is what, Mark, what was described as the secrecy motif, right? Where Jesus did not want uh, people to, to fully recognize who he was yet because he didn't want people to pre- He knew his, his mission and his ministry was ultimately going to culminate, Right? on the cross. He didn't want people to prematurely like try to hoist him up as king or treat him like this celebrity. He wants to keep his head down and stay focused on the mission that he came to accomplish. Now, I walk through all those verses because verse 35 is, is going to be the our anchor verse where we're going to sit for a minute. But I walk through all those verses just to point out one simple thing and that's this. Jesus knows what it's like to have a chaotic schedule. And I say that for so many of us who are tempted to think, well, I, pre man, I I am happy for y'all with all your communion, all of your intimacy with God. There's a great sermon last week, David, about your quiet times and all that type of stuff. But I live in the real world. I got such a demanding job. I got all these responsibilities on me in this season of life. Mike, you're already kind of done with school and graduated. You don't know what it's like, right, to constantly have all these projects and assignments due and to be working on your dissertation and have these deadlines in front of you. Like, I, I live out in the real world, so, so how, how can I possibly, like, do all this stuff that y'all are talking about? And I just, for all of us that are tempted to feel that way, I just wanted us to see firsthand Jesus understands what it's like to have a chaotic schedule. And yet, verse 35, after that crazy long day into the late night, it says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And I don't think this is just because Jesus is super holy. He is literally the definition of like super holy, right? But I think as you read this in context, I think the reason Jesus does this is because he can't really find the time or space to get the kind of communion with God the Father that his soul craves for. And in his humanity, in the limitations of of his human nature, he has to break away. And this was a common habit for Jesus. Luke the historian put it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew. I love how the New American Standard Bible puts it. It says, But Jesus would often slip away to desolate places to play, to pray. The Greek word there translated desolate places shows up several different times in the life and ministry of Jesus. And it had a variety of different meanings. And so your particular version of the Bible may translate it differently. Desolate place uh, can mean a literal desert or wilderness, but it could also more simply mean a deserted place, a solitary place, a lonely place, or a quiet place. It's what David talked about in his sermon last week, a place where you shut yourself off from distractions so that you can be alone with God. And the idea is that in the midst of all the chaos and all the demands, Jesus made sure to regularly unplug and to be refreshed in his father's presence. There was work to do. There were people to serve, responsibilities to manage, but he refused to live without the joy and comfort, without abiding in that eternal Trinitarian love that we've been talking about. And listen, that leads us to just the first thing I want to point out. Listen, if you want to experience communion with God in the midst of of a chaotic life, I'm going to point out three things. Here's the first one. You have to come to a place where you refuse to live without it. I don't know how to put it more simple than that. You got to come to a place in your life where you just refuse to live without that kind of continual communion with God that you were designed for and that your soul actually craves. And if we're honest, some people just, some of us, we just haven't gotten to that place yet. We haven't gotten to that place where we're just like, I refuse to live without it. Amen. I was uh, sitting in my office at home super early. Uh, yes, yesterday morning or Friday morning, I can't remember. And I was actually working on this sermon. And so this is before Ash and the kids are awake. And so I'm sitting at my desk, like in front of this window. I can uh, look, look outside and y'all, the snow is just like coming down heavy. Sidebar, all the forecasters were wrong, by the way. Shout out to the forecasters. Y'all do great work. You just missed this one, right? Uh, so uh, it was like snowing like crazy. It's completely white outside. Snow plows haven't even come through my neighborhood yet, y'all. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking out my window, I see my neighbor jogging down the street. (laughs) And I asked myself, why? (laughs) And there's just some questions that we're not going to have answers to on this side of eternity. But I sat with that question before the Lord. And at first I thought to myself, maybe it's an emergency and he's running away from something dangerous. It wasn't it. No, he was just outside in 27 degree weather with some leggings and a beanie on, going for a casual jog in a snowstorm. I thought about what is, why, what is he he doing? Well, James Clear talks about this. Some of you have read James Clear as the popular writer on like developing new habits. And he talks about how so many of us have, we try to develop these outcome-based habits, right? We develop habits because we want to accomplish something. He says, that's the wrong start. And so he advocates for what he calls identity-based habits. And what he means by that is, let's use the runner for an example, because he uses that example. He says, listen, when you're trying to run, you got to ask the question first, what kind of person do I want to become? Well, you answer, well, I want to become a runner. What you do then is, you start just practicing these small habits. It might just start by walking. Maybe it's jogging just a a little bit. Maybe it's just literally like putting on running clothes every day and then just taking them back off, right? (laughs) But you start with these small habits, and this is what he says. He says, with identity-based habits, every time you practice that habit, he says this, you're casting a vote for the person you want to become. Amen. And you just keep practicing those small habits, casting that, those votes for the person you want to become until over time, like a snowball effect, those habits grow and grow and grow. And then you look up and you've become that person. You've become that guy who's outside in a snowstorm running with leggings, right? <laughs> Identity-based Habits, the person you want to become. Let me one-up James Clear for a second, because here's the promise in the gospel. It's not just that we're becoming someone, it's that we've already become that person in Christ, that God has already given us a new identity in Christ. So in a sense, we're becoming who we already are in Him. So listen to me, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Christ, then your core identity is as a son of God or a daughter of God. That's your core identity. And just like these other habits... In our relationship with God, we got to get to a place where being with God, communing with God isn't just something we do, it becomes an expression of who we are. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. That's your core identity. So guess what? Your core, core calling in life then is to abide in his love. That's your core calling in life. It is more fundamental than any other calling in your life in your career, in your relationships, and with your dreams and your visions that you have, if you are a Christian, your identity as a son or daughter is your core identity, and your core calling is to abide in God's love. It is like the, the super calling, right? Over every other calling that infuses every other aspect of your life. And when you see it that way, then being with God isn't just something that you fit into your schedule, being with God becomes a non negotiable way Amen. of life. Amen where you refuse to live without it because yeah. that's who you are. Yeah. That's who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I got a golf clap on that one, so we'll keep going, all right? Yeah. Listen, I think about that conversation that Jesus had with Martha in Luke 10. Some of you familiar with the Bible, you know the story, right? That that Martha is so stressed out because of all the household responsibilities that she's trying to manage. Those responsibilities are not bad things. The problem is she's with Jesus. like Jesus is in the room. Jesus is there. And she's stressed out about all the things that she has to do for him instead of being with him. But Mary. Mary is sitting at her master's feet. And you remember what Jesus said to Martha, Luke 10, 41. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. It's no condemnation. He's not scolding her. He just feels this deep compassion for her. It's like it's it's this tender way of referring to her to get her attention to be like, look at me. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. It doesn't mean that the things that fill our lives aren't important or that we should be lazy or neglectful. It doesn't mean that. We talked about this. When I preached from that passage, Luke 10, about a year ago. We talked about this. The thing you need more than anything, the thing I need more than anything is intimacy with God. That's what Jesus is saying to Martha. The thing you need more than anything is right in front of you. And that has to sink deep down into the core of our being until it becomes a non-negotiable. And so I want us to pause just for a moment. And I just wanna give you just a couple seconds to just be quiet before the Lord. And here's what I want you to do. And close your eyes if it's helpful. I want you to just think about the things that pull for your attention on a typical day. Think about the responsibilities, the people, the hobbies, the technology, whatever it is, the things that pull at you in the morning, in the evening. And I just want you to let those things come to the surface of your mind. Just take a moment and, and just quiet before the Lord And just think about those things. Let them come to the surface of your mind. Now, I want you to hear Jesus' words again with those things at the top of your mind only one thing is necessary. Like this one thing, being with God, is more necessary than all the other things that kinda send you into a chaotic spiral, which means not only do we have to come to a place where we refuse to live without regular communion with God, let's keep going here. If we wanna experience more communion with God in the midst of a chaotic life, Here's the second thing, and you have to be willing to give something up. It's no easy way. If this is what you want, you gotta be willing to give something up. Look again at Mark one thirty-five. Jesus went out to pray, look, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, Think about this, because we looked at the day before. Think about how drained Jesus must have been from the day before. And so you would think that the thing he needed most was what? Sleep. Now, don't get me wrong. We do need sleep. Some of y'all need some more sleep, right? We do need sleep. And so did Jesus. You remember Jesus is asleep on the boat with his disciples. He was so tired that he was sleeping in the middle of a storm. But there was something Jesus craved even more than sleep, and that was communion with God the Father. And so listen, if he had to choose between communion with God and a little more sleep, he chose communion with God. And listen, our lives are so often filled with things that feel more urgent or necessary, or honestly just more fulfilling than spending more time with God. And listen, hear me. I think that explains why for so many of us, our spiritual lives are so unsatisfying. Because we're just trying to cram God into a life that is already full. Listen, you're always gonna struggle to experience consistent communion with God if you're not willing to give up some things. They're gonna be, and listen, not just willing to give up some things, if you're not willing to give up some good things. Like there are gonna be some good things that you want to do, some good things that other people regularly do, but that you're gonna have to give up at least for a season if you wanna practice the habit of being with God. So listen, you might not be able to stay up or sleep in as late as you used to. You may not be able to watch as much Netflix or YouTube as other people do. You may not be able to stay as current on social media as your friends are, or, or watch as many West Coast playoff games, right? I don't, that's maybe for you, I don't think that applies to me, just in the way my relationship with God is set up. I think I still have to watch the NBA playoffs. Uh, <laughs> listen, you may not be able to go to the gym for a full hour and a half every morning, which is not, not a problem that I struggle with. Um, listen, let's bring it a little closer to home, you may not be able to fold your laundry as consistently and perfectly as you normally would. My wife, she's out at MoCo. She she can't verbally object right now from here. Um, She's like, Mike, you really, you can fold your clothes. Um, Listen, you, you, you might not be able to be as immediately accessible as people always want you to be. We stopped at Mark one thirty five, but I love what happens right after that in verse 36. Jesus is in prayer, communing with God the Father so much so, verse 36, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Listen, this this jumped off the page to me as I was prepping for this message. It just ministered to my own heart and challenged me. Listen, Jesus made himself physically unavailable during certain times. Here's what stuck out to me though. In 2023, a lot of us need to learn how to make ourselves digitally unavailable at certain times. So do me a favor, take out your phone. Here at different, literally, like take out your phone. I want you to just look at your phone, okay? I want you to look at your phone because I want you to think about just how many notifications we get. If you got an iPhone, you can just swipe down and look at Notification Center right now. You've been getting, the, I don't see you. You act, you act like I don't see when your eyes go down. You're not looking at your Bible. I'm not quoting the verse right now, right? So listen, I'm not going to get all up in your phone. Let's just look at my own phone, okay? So my phone, like you think about just, just Messenger apps, Okay? I have WhatsApp, because people like to communicate different ways. WhatsApp, GroupMe, Signal, Slack, Microsoft Teams, and my text messages. Now, don't judge me, because right now I have 506 unread text messages. I, I apologize in advance. I apologize in advance. Now, I'm off social media this month. It's just part of my social media rhythm, so I'm off social media this month. But you think about the social media apps that we have on our phone, TikTok, Instagram, Threads, X, Be Real, Snapchat, whatever else the new social media wave is. This doesn't include email apps, news apps, and the Chick-fil-A app, because you gotta stay on top of those rewards. Those (laughs) rewards expire like that in the twinkling of an eye. Those rewards are gone. So you think about all the notifications and buzzes that happen on your phone all of the time. And listen, here's my point. In order to experience more communion with God, some of us are gonna have to be willing to give up the kind of immediate 24-7 accessibility that our culture so often expects. Amen. This is hard, y'all. Like maybe you need to turn your notifications off on your phone during certain times. The do not disturb feature is clutch. Maybe you, maybe you take your email app off of your phone and you just check your email on your computer. That way you're not constantly getting notifications or if you're like me, you already turn the notifications off so you just keep refreshing your inbox. Listen, I know some of you can't do that because your job requires immediate turnaround on that kind of communication. So this is going to look different for all of us, but some of us can make these kinds of changes. It just requires you to communicate well and set clear expectations for people. So, for example, you could tell your team at work, listen, if you need an immediate reply from me on email, then text me because I'm I'm, I'm trying to focus and kind of be more present Right, that's a wave right now, so just talk about mindfulness, right? I wanna be more present, I'm not gonna have email on my phone, but you, you don't wanna be that person, right? Like, you're the team lead, you're the project manager, or you're one of, there's a deliverable, right? Everybody's waiting, you don't wanna be that person, so you just communicate and say, hey, listen, I won't have immediate access on my phone, but listen, if you text me and say, hey, I shot you an email, I'll just go, out, get over to my computer and I'll respond to you. It, just, it requires some creativity and communication. Listen, if you wanna experience more communion with God, you have to be willing to give something up. Amen. Something up. And listen, it might feel like you're giving something or feel like a sacrifice, but it's not. It's like when you're eating dinner at a nice restaurant, right? And you, you have like the appetizers and all that. You're not even done with the appetizers yet, but, but then they show up with the main course that you've been waiting for. And they're like, can I take these? Pl-? Yes. Take these. Pl- yes. Take these plates. Let's make room for what I really came here for. Listen, this is what this is. It's it's when, when I say you got to be willing to give something up. What I'm saying here is not that you're you, you are kind of making a sacrifice, but not really. What you're doing is you're making room for what you're so actually craves and what you were designed to actually experience, which is more communion with God, even in the midst of the chaos. You gotta refuse to live without this and you have to be willing to give some things up to make room for it. Here's the last thing before we close out. If you wanna experience more communion with God in the midst of a chaotic life, listen, then you have to learn how to practice the presence of God. Amen. Practice the presence of God. Let me explain what I mean by that. That phrase comes from a classic Christian book from the late 1600s by a man who became known as Brother Lawrence. And here's, here's what, what happened with him. He had a serious injury as a young soldier that, uh, uh, that left him disabled and in chronic pain for the rest of his life. Eventually, he ended up working uh, in the kitchen in a sandal repair shop in his local monastery. And this book is such a classic because what what he's doing in this book is he kind of made it a lifelong project of his to practice the presence of God. What he means by that is he tried to make it his goal to try to be aware of God's, consciously aware of God's presence and consciously in conversation with God at all times, no matter what else he was doing. And the reason why this book is still so popular today is because he's talking about doing this in the midst of everyday activities. So while he's washing the dishes and while he's cooking in the kitchen and while he's repairing sandals, he's practicing engaging the presence of God, practicing being aware of God's love, practicing communicating with God in the hustle and bustle of his everyday responsibilities. And he ended up writing about it. There were conversations that were recorded into this book, practicing the presence of God. And let me give you a helpful analogy uh, for this. I, I have some concerns about our dependence on GPS. Because I'm a millennial, but I'm an older millennial, so I, I'm old enough to remember when my dad made me and my brothers learn how to open up an actual physical road map and be able to navigate our way around. GC, uh, Gen Z, it's on Wikipedia, look it up. Road map, okay? Just look that up, right? I, I remember that, and I remember him drilling that into us, and we had to, he would like test us and be like, I'm not, I'm not, you, you had to tell me where to go. And we, we have this roadmap just to be able to get home. And here's a couple of things that I noticed about that, because now we just be like, we don't have no geographic orient, orientation, whatever, if you, if your phone battery dies, you're done, you're, you're done, Right? <laughs> what and 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 using a map over time you begin to, to to get familiar with the landscape and certain landmarks you begin to see how the road systems work you know the the main roads and and all of that right and so you begin you're familiar with that but what the biggest benefit for me is that i became so familiar with that that you can over time you learn how to be able to find your way home from anywhere because you already know if you're in D.C., you know the grid system, right? You know how the numbers run. You know how the letters run. You know the different states and, and, and how they run. And so wherever you are, whatever intersection you're at, you know which way to go. I think that's a helpful analogy for practicing the presence of God. Let me explain what, what I mean. There are kind of the main roads. These are the well-traveled roads. These are the common pathways for us to be able to connect with God. God. We know what some of those are, right? Having like a a daily quiet time. We talked about this last week. Classic, just a dedicated time in prayer, reading and meditating on God's Word. That's just a classic way. That's a a well-traveled kind of main road for getting your heart to connect with the presence of God. Sunday worship. Like gathering with God's people on a weekly basis and singing to God and, 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 and praying to him together and hearing from him through his word and fellowshipping with one another. It's a main road. This is maybe new to some of us, but in a lot of more traditional Christian environments, certainly in ancient Christian history, they would structure their days around prayer. You actually see this in kind of Jewish history in the Old Testament, right, where they would have morning, midday, and evening prayers. You see this in the book of Acts. There was this rhythm and structure to their days. They saw that they wanted their time to be organized around communion with God. And a lot of people still practice that today, right, where you have a kind of a morning prayer time, you have an evening prayer time, and then in the middle of your day, just a moment to like pause. And these don't have to be long extended times, it's a moment to just pause Abide in God's love. Remember that He's with you, and to just communicate and commune with Him. And there's so many helpful ways to do this. The Psalms, right? In the middle of your day, before you uh, take your lunch break, right? You could just takes like five minutes to just maybe less to just unless you're reading Psalm 119, right? But to like read a Psalm, just read that Psalm and take one line out of that Psalm and just respond to God in prayer, and then move on with your day in the middle of your day. I'm not Anglican, but the Book of Common Prayer has been really helpful for me, right? To sometimes pray other people's prayers. Sometimes my mind is just so distracted or stressed or whatever, I just don't have the words, and sometimes just reading somebody else's words in prayer, it just helps articulate what's going on in my heart. The Valley of Vision collection of Puritan prayers has been so helpful for me. There's different apps, like letheo Three Sixty Five. Uh, Peace Cazero has the daily office, which is an app or PDF that you can use to kind of structure those daily. There's lots of resources, but the point is that there are these common pathways, these well-traveled main roads for getting your heart to become aware of and to connect with the presence of God. But here's the thing. There's also what I'll call some back roads, And these aren't the typical kind of structured times, right? These are the ways, right, where you learn how to get your heart to the presence of God no matter where you are, what situation you're in, what circumstance you're facing. You know how to get your heart to connect to the presence of God. And listen, I I remember uh, when I was younger on staff, within my first couple years, I'm in my first year of marriage, and all I know is I'm supposed to, like, lead spiritually. What does that mean? Well, I'm a Bible teacher. You know what that meant? It meant the first thing I did when my my wife and I got married, it was like, all right, babe, once a week, we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. It was terrible. (laughs) She was bored. I was frustrated. And I remember meeting with one of the elders of our church about it just as a newlywed just to get some advice. And he was like, bro, you got to breathe. Uh, you have this cooker, cookie kind of cutter expectation for what this looks like. He's like, sometimes it looks like we're reading the word together. Sometimes we're reading the word separately and just as we're going, while I'm washing the dishes, we just say, hey, what's God been teaching you this week? Listen, that was so freeing to me. I share that with you because as we think about experiencing more communion with God, some of us just need to breathe because we've put more expectations on ourselves than God has put on us. He knows our frame and that we are but dust. He knows the season of life that we're in. I remember when we first had a kid, I was in the hospital. I'm like, what happened to my hour-long devotional time? And I remember one of the other older pastors, a big brother in the faith here at McLean Bible Church, just telling me, bro, in those first couple of weeks of having a newborn, I couldn't read through the Bible reading plan. He took one verse of scripture, put it on an index card. That was his verse for the whole week. And it was like, that's legal? That's legal. Like, yeah, because the goal is to just be with God. And that can happen in so many different ways. Yes, we need those main roads, right? But there's also these little back roads. I love this story I read about uh, Susanna Wesley. You probably never heard of her, but you probably heard of two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley, founders of the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley wrote about 6,500 hymns. One of them was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? And I love this story about her where she had, she had 11 children in the early 1700s, y'all. So imagine how difficult it was for her to find quiet time, okay? Love this story about her. Listen, she would sit at her kitchen table, pull her apron over her head. It's like an ancient do not disturb sign. And that was her sign to her children, leave mommy alone right now. She's spending time with God. She didn't have like a, a loft, you know what I'm saying? To like go to or whatever. No, no, no. What well, she would sit at her kitchen table in the midst of the chaos and she would just pull her apron over her head and tell her kids, don't bother me until this apron come off. And they knew that she was in the sanctuary with God. Like underneath that apron was a sanctuary where she could commune with God, the father. And I love that example because it's just so real, Right. I, 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 I kind of fell into a, a little bit of a spiritual rut at the end of last fall. I think I was just stressed, to be honest and it, I, it was just difficult for me to travel the main roads. Like my normal rhythms were thrown off. Like journaling for me is usually helpful to process. I just wasn't motivated to do it. Praying sometimes is hard to articulate. And so I just started a rhythm of just going on morning walks early in the morning, just me and a bunch of 75 year olds just outside walking. <laughs> Right? And I just would take these short, like 15-minute walks, and I'd just pray. I, just being out in God's creation, Amen. letting that prompt me to thank him and then start praying through my day. And it just kind of jump-started my spiritual life again. I'd encourage you maybe to just pray your way through your day. What I mean by that is use the transition between activities as an opportunity to take a quick pause and remind yourself that God is with you. Don't just rush from meeting to meeting. I know what a packed meeting schedule is like. Jesus clearly did here, right? But just add a little buffer in between your meetings and take a moment. Close your door and just pause for a second. In the Zoom call. Put your laptop down. Pause, close your eyes, sit in silence for just 30 seconds. I literally have a timer on my iPhone right here on the face of my my Apple Watch. It's a three-minute timer so that at any point throughout the day, I can just pause, shut it down for just a second. It's a three-minute timer. I hit the button. I sit in silence for just those three minutes. And then I just pray just briefly. It might just be as simple literally as John 15, 9. I remind myself as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. God Help me to abide in your love as I continue in my day. Amen. Open up the laptop, next Zoom call, right? Pray your way through your day. We see this with Jesus. Remember, he's Jewish, so they had a lot of structure in their prayer life. He knew the main roads, but he has some back roads. No matter what situation he was in, he could get his heart to connect with his heavenly Father. So just remember this as we close, Luke, Luke 3. Jesus was praying as he was being baptized. During the baptism, he's praying. We already looked at Luke 6, where Jesus prayed all night. But the reason he did that was because he had to make a major decision the next day. And so he wanted to spend extended time processing and praying with his Father. Luke 22, the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke tells us that's one of Jesus' favorite places to pray. He takes that time with his father as he's anticipating and lamenting the suffering that he's getting ready to experience. And y'all, as we close, this this is the one that blew me away as I was processing this. Like Jesus is practicing the presence of God even while he's on the cross. Like you think about it, you remember, he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The main roads were blocked off for him when he was on the cross. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't gather with anybody else. It was a back road. Even suffering became a back road for him to just come and be honest in the presence of God the Father. Do you remember? He prays on the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. Even while he's being mistreated and mocked, where that could have turned into and hardened and calloused into bitterness, it became a back road for him to connect with his heavenly father. And instead of bitterness, he intercedes for them. And then you remember before he took his last breath, you remember what he prayed? He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Just full surrender, to the Father's will in in the most difficult, chaotic moment in all of eternal history. When the chaos of the wrath of God is swirling and descending on him, Jesus in that moment is still communing with his Father, practicing the presence of God. Why? He took the chaos of sin so that you and I could enjoy forgiveness in his presence. He took the chaos of suffering so that you and I could experience divine comfort and one day full and complete and eternal healing. He took the chaos of stress literally in his body. He took the chaos of overwhelming anxiety that you and I could never possibly imagine why so that you and I could enjoy the benefit of his divine supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. He knew what it was like to live under the chaos and the pressure of life, and yet he is still communing communing with the Father so that you and I could enjoy that same communion. And so I want to give us an opportunity to do that before we close. I want to give you an opportunity, just a minute or two, just in quiet before the Lord. And I want to read from Psalm 46 as you prepare to do that. Just listen to this. The psalmist writes God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I love that picture of chaos. But in the midst of the chaos, this conscious awareness that God is with me. He is my refuge and my strength. Therefore, I will not fear. And fear here is not just like the physiological reaction that we have when there's a threat. No, fear here is what we all struggle with. When your heart is being controlled by what you can't control. Your heart is being controlled by what you can't control. Instead of just chaotic circumstances, now you have a chaotic soul. And God meets us in the midst of that chaos. And we learn to surrender and to rely on him. And so take a moment between you and the Lord and maybe process this question with him. In what ways does your life feel chaotic right now? process with the Lord, or maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you and I need to be forgiven of my sin and to put my trust in you. However you want to pray, take a moment between you and the Lord and then I or one of our location pastors will follow up to close us out. Father, we thank you that you don't just call us to look to you in the midst of the chaos of our lives, God, but you you enter into it with us. You have done that in Jesus, but you do that, Lord, by your spirit, and you are with us now, our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Father, I pray, God, that you would meet us in the midst of the chaos, and Lord, that you would help us, that you would teach us how to take your yoke to learn from you, and to rest and experience communion with you this week. Thank you that you're with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.